0: Welcome to the Advancing Women Podcast, where ambitious women come together to challenge the status
1: quo, advance their careers, and up-level their lives. The Advancing Women Podcast is hosted by gender equity expert and executive coach, Dr. Kimberly D. Simone.
0: Welcome, warriors, to the Advancing Women Podcast. According to a survey by the Workplace Bullying Institute, around one in four American workers have said that they have dealt with workplace bullying. In a recent study published in the Journal of Social Science Research, the authors found that in addition to experiencing higher levels of workplace bullying, women and minorities also report higher levels of anxiety and lower levels of social support from coworkers. Studies have also found that women in higher level managerial and leadership positions are more likely to be bullied, which isn't super surprising when we consider that bullying is about control. Stereotypes that women are not suitable for leadership can result in situations where when women are successful in male-typed occupations, they face derogation and rejection. Also, women who exhibit stereotypically masculine behavior can be at risk. There is plentiful research that shows that when women deviate from traditional gender stereotypes, they are disproportionately targeted. In a recent book, Black Women, Intersectionality, and Workplace Bullying by Leah Hollis, the author extends the literature on workplace bullying and widens the conversation by examining specifically how work abuse disproportionately hurts women of color, affecting their mental health negatively, and hence their career progression. And I've talked a lot on the podcast about the stress and unique barriers women face. When women experience workplace discrimination and bullying, too often we internalize it. In a 2022 Harvard Business Review article called The Physiological Toll of Being the Only Woman of Color at Work, author Rashika Tulshin addressed the many consequences of being the, quote, only. She notes how in response to microaggressions and bullying, quote, then the dark thought showed up, uncalled for. No one can see me here anyway, I kept thinking. I would replace scenarios in my head from interactions with coworkers. Initially, I would feel shame for not knowing how to respond to subtle acts of exclusions, like having my name mispronounced and my English complimented, as well as being the only woman of color in my department. But soon I felt self-loathing and anxiety when I was at risk of being fired after a senior leader made a complaint about how I was difficult to work with without giving any reason or examples to back it up. Having no woman of color to turn to, I felt like I was living in an alternative reality. Today, I know there's a word for what I experienced, racial gaslighting. But back then, I questioned myself literally every day. Eventually, the burden became too much to bear, end quote. That is so powerful, and this is a conversation that we need to be having, and I am so excited today to have speaker and certified coach Zanika Chapman on the Advancing Women podcast to talk about how women can stand up against workplace bullying. Zanika is a certified personal and executive coach helping women rediscover their inner strength and confidence in the aftermath of workplace-related trauma. She is passionate about creating work environments that are safe and equitable. She is the creator of the group coaching program, Surviving Corporate, that helps women establish a healthy relationship with work and puts them back in the driver's seat of their careers. I am so excited to welcome Zanika to the Advancing Women
1: podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Kimberly. And hello, Warriors. I'm so excited and so honored to be here.
0: Oh, I'm so excited that you're here. Honestly, this topic really got me fired up. When we started talking about it, I started to get really fired up about what I was seeing and hearing beyond just my own experience. So I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about your experience and how you became
1: so interested in this topic. Yeah, so how I became so interested in this topic was because of my own experience. I actually went through a series or an instance of workplace bullying when I was at what I considered to be the height of my career at the time. I was actually working my dream job. I had done all the things that people told you to do. I had my list of corporations that I was following on LinkedIn, and I had this one company that I really, really wanted to be a part of. And when the opportunity came again, I did all the right things with my resume. And went through the interview process and got hired, and everything was great for about a year or so. And within a year's time, I became the target of workplace bullying and just a series of harassment, constantly demeaned, constantly questioned. A lot of things that you put in the opening, the microaggressions and questioning even um, questioning even my education, right? And questioning the experience that I had brought in with me. All things that were great for me to be hired. But once I got in the door, I was met with something completely different. And I really just thought that was the way it was. Talking to my friends and family, my parents, older aunts and uncles. Well, that's just the way it is. Those are just things that you'll have to endure if you're going to work in corporate and be successful. And I was having lunch with a few friends and we were rehashing the story as we often do. And one of the things that I said was, you know, I just I feel like they bullied me. And it was almost like a light bulb went off in my head when I said that. And I thought, is that really a thing? Do people really get bullied at work? Like, are people talking about this? And of course, I Googled it. And you can see all of the matches. I challenge anybody listening to this conversation, just Google it and see all of the things that get returned. And that's how I knew, wow, I'm not crazy. I wasn't the problem. This is actually an issue that people are going through. And then fast forward to the summer of 2020, George Floyd was murdered. And there were all these companies talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I was privy to all of these conversations from other women of color all across the country on these internet forums and you know situations that I would read and hear them talk about. And I thought, oh my goodness, how is it that me in South Carolina can be having the same instance as this woman in Detroit and this woman in Dallas, Texas, if this is not some type of systemic issue that is happening? And I actually clicked live <laughs> on my phone and I went live on Facebook and I said, hey guys, I'm going to share this story with you. And all of the stories that people started responding and flooding back with, wow, either that happened to me or I'm going through that right now. What did you do? How did you get on the other side of it? Kind of just got me on this path to really study and learn as much as I could about it. But I was fired up that all of these women were having these identical situations inside of corporate structures. And when I say corporate, I mean for-profit, government, government nonprofit, anything that looks like your traditional nine to five working world, how is it that none of us who know each other on all different spectrums and all different industries seem to be having these identical situations? And why is nobody talking about it? Why is nobody addressing it? Why are the DEI statements not speaking to this specifically, the programming, the ERGs that we have inside of corporations? Why are there not any that speak to these specific issues? And so that's what really kind of piqued my interest. It was my own experience and then learning of the experiences of so many other women.
0: Yeah, there's so much about what you just said that makes me really think about the broken pipeline that we see so much in any of the domains, whether it's corporate or academia, all the places that you mentioned, which is we've seen diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that I guess in some ways have helped women and persons of color get to a certain point. Mm -hmm. But then there's this broken pipeline and you can't get past it. And it seems like what happens is that it becomes threatening in some way. The power balance is challenged. And in an unequal situation, the one in power may try to maintain the inequality by openly discriminating or using various negative acts like bullying. You start to see at that next level, as you had said, in the ascension where, wow, everything in the beginning now seems to be a problem. Bring your authentic self, but now you don't want me to anymore. So all of this complexity is there. And we see that, but then you also see the glass cliff problem. And the glass cliff is a situation in which women are promoted to higher positions during a time of crisis Mm -hmm. or when the chance of failure is more likely it's almost like a Hail Mary pass. Oh, you know what? We're really in trouble here. Failure seems imminent. Let's throw a woman or a person of color in. And if they succeed, you look like an equity hero. But if they fail, it's like, oh, we tried. Look what happened. And that can also negatively affect women because we become more vulnerable to criticism. So a lot of layers of complexity here that you're addressing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I also want to talk to you a little bit about... Um, the article that you mentioned in the opening, all of those things that you just talked about, what they end up doing is you end up helping the system because you start to turn the negative thoughts on yourself, right? Right. It's colluding. You're colluding
0: with a system that doesn't serve you.
1: Yes. Yes. Because I went exactly through that. Almost every woman that has reached out to me for coaching, you can feel it on them. This notion of a thought of I'm not good enough. I've done all the things. I do check all the boxes, but I'm still not good enough. There's something wrong with me. I'm too argumentative. People don't know how to take me. And these are all kind of little things that people will say. So even if they don't call you aggressive, they'll say things like, well, I don't know how to take you.
0: Yeah. I've had the same thing happen where a person will say, well, you came at me in attack mode. And I think that's like a new way of saying you're aggressive, but they know they're not supposed to say we're aggressive. It's still the same net net, which is that we're conditioned to, as women, internalize the flaw. And that's so much of what my podcast is really about. It's not your fault, but it is your problem. We can't be complicit. In this problem, we have to take a step back and pause and say, wait a minute, it's just not true.
1: Yes, yes. And that's one of kind of the first things that I like, I walk my clients through is tell me what's the lie. And people are always kind of taken aback when I ask them, I'm like, no, what's the lie? What's the lie that you now are walking in that you've internalized that this bully or this toxic environment has placed on you? It's always some version of I'm not good enough, by the way. But we start there. And sometimes the lie is, though, it's my fault. It's so powerful. I'm the problem.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful.
1: And you talked about it in the opening. It's never about you. The bullying, the toxicity, it is never really about you. It's directed at you, but it has absolutely nothing to do with you.
0: And that's why I think I'm so attracted to the way you talk about this topic because you're not saying, We don't have to deal with it. You are absolutely saying we have to deal with it, but your philosophy and your ideology that we can distinguish ourselves from the problem and still address the problem is so aligned Mm -hmm. with what I talk about a lot on this podcast. So I really want to hear more about the process that you've created. The way, as you've stated, you help women rediscover their inner strength and confidence after an encounter with a workplace bully, when perhaps they're feeling a lot of the things you're talking about here and self-imposing some of the flaw and so forth. So let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So I talked a, I talked a little bit about it earlier with really starting with like, what's the lie And really helping these women understand that the system and the environment exists, but it is not about you. You are not the problem and really helping them to see how all of the things that have been used against them has actually served them in other roles. And if we were to get rid of these bullies or this environment, how you could thrive in another environment. And oftentimes, and people will think this is probably a little woo or a little hokey. I actually will walk people through just because they're so hopeless, Kimberly, when they come to me and they'll say, well, you know. The job that I want doesn't really exist anyway. Another lie. But so I said, well, what does that job look like? And usually it's something that already exists out there in the world. People are already doing it. But it's just that they're so stuck in the story that they're living right now, that they actually don't have any hope. So a big part of the coaching work that we do together is just helping women to dream again, particularly women of color, because we are always told what we can't have. We're sold all these stories of what we can't have, what we can't be. There's still not enough representation. And so people are very clear on what they can't have. And very clear on what I want, what will truly make me happy just doesn't exist. Yeah, that's so powerful. When you talk about
0: how we start to not believe that it can exist, I think that's a consequence of the constant messaging of, oh, you're just complaining, which mm-hmm. is really a way to silence the voice of people from calling out distasteful social constructs that are hindering us. And if you get people to believe that it is what it is and what's the point in complaining, you can get to a place where people start to feel that hopelessness that you're talking yeah. about. So I do think we've got to tackle the hopelessness that comes when we start to believe that if we look at our reality or call out the inequities that somehow we're not being practical or pragmatic, that can have really devastating effects when we start to believe the problem is just too big for us to ever get past.
1: Yeah. And you have to, you have to address that sense of hopelessness because just telling somebody, oh, it's all about networking. It's very hard to believe that you can get to that next level at networking. If you believe nothing that I say matters, nobody in this room is ever going to support me. Nobody here is going to sponsor me Yeah. I had an episode on toxic positivity,
0: which addressed mental contrasting. And what the science says is we're far better off to look at the reality of our situation, including the unique and unfair barriers, because then that positions us to more practically and favorably address our reality as opposed to some pie in the sky meritocracy myth that makes us sit here believing that we have every opportunity. And then when it doesn't, work out that way with all the hard work. And as you said, we've done all the things you're left sitting there thinking, well, then I guess it's just me. And how is that helpful?
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So then the next thing we do kind of in the process is I teach people how to set goals, but set goals that are aligned with who you really are, because we get so caught up in the title and chasing the next big thing or living in the story of the toxicity that we don't really set goals that are truly grounded in who we really are. So we go through this process of what are your strengths? What are your values? Because the final stage of this is, well, how do I get into a role, a job or whatever that this doesn't happen to me again? And part of that is being very clear in who you are and what are your values? So that now you know when you're going into that next interview, I'm interviewing this company against my values to see if they are aligned with the woman that I am, not just because I need a job and I want the check. Is this place aligned with who I am and what I value?
0: I think it also allows if you take that position and then the company falls short of delivering on who they presented up front, you can take a step back and say, no, this isn't about me. This is about a disconnect between who you said you were, what this was going to look like versus what it really is. And that is outside of me and outside of my fault and flaw.
1: Right. And I also love that because it gives people a benchmark of I'm constantly checking this job, this company, this team against my personal benchmarks. And the moment that these things do not align, I am on to the next thing. I actually coached a client one time and she did not realize she had met her threshold with this company two years ago. (laughs) There comes a point where you can change things
0: and there comes a point, and I think this is what you're saying, where... It's not going to change and it is too hurtful for you because you either have to sit there and be authentic within it, or if that can't happen, then you've got to say, I don't want to be changed.
1: Yeah, because it will start to change you and, and impact you. And what that also does too is when you have kind of your own personal benchmark now, now I'm confident in who I am, right? I can make decisions quickly about how I'm moving through the world, because this is not just about work. When you know who you are and you know what your values are, this is not just about where you get a paycheck. This is about how you do life and how you live life. And that's why I refer to the work that we do in Surviving Corporate as a detox program, because this is not the place for you to come in and hear, how do I get negotiating tips and how do I network? This is really a place where we can come in and say, nobody's going to ignore you and say, yeah, that bullying didn't happen, that doesn't happen. Right, the gaslighting. (laughs) Right, the gaslighting. We're going to say, no, these things do happen. Here are the tools to deal with those things. And here's a metric and a benchmark for which battles you want to fight, because that's also a part of this process. Not every battle, not everything that comes to me in my job in corporate America, I choose not to address it. And sometimes that's how you maintain your own level of sanity, by knowing. These are the things that I'm going to address today. This is what I got time for, and this is what I don't. I think
0: it's such an important thing that you're doing with your program that is so different than so many of the professional development programs that women are in, which are first often rooted in the fix the women narrative, right? So here's how you need to negotiate better. Here's how you need to be more persuasive. Here's the ways you're holding yourself back in your career. Those are all grounded in defect, right? Mm -hmm. In some way that you're defective, as opposed to saying, look, there are very real inequities and unfair barriers that you are addressing. And first we're going to acknowledge that. And then we're going to filter that through our reality. So yeah, I'm getting some best practice advice here that says I need to negotiate or that I need to be more assertive or whatever the advice is, but we have to be mindful in funneling that through the inequity of our experience and saying, well, what happens when as a woman or as a person of color, as I do the very things you're telling me, how is that going to land perhaps differently? Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mindful of that, that advice is not going to work well for me because more often than not, it was not designed with me in mind. It was not Absolutely. designed by women or
1: for <laughs> women. And so we have to be mindful of that. Yes, absolutely. And those are the things that I talk about with my with my clients is we have to be cognizant of those things. And you know, a lot of the women that come to me, they're not yet ready for some to make these big giant career leaps. They are literally just kind of I've just escaped something that was terrible and I just need to put myself back together again. And I think that that is one piece of the work that we have to do. And I'm so honored when people invite me along on that part of their journey with them. But the other part at some point is we have to address these things within the workplace. And the only way to do that is if you are whole. Yeah, that's a great point. And
0: you're absolutely right. This weight can't be all on women who are being broken by a system that is very harmful. And inequitable in a lot of ways to not take a step back and say, we all have to look at this allies, everyone. How are we helping women? How are we helping persons of color? How are we helping women of color transcend and thrive in our organizations?
1: Yeah. And one of the things that I am starting to tell my ladies now, because I was asked this question a couple of weeks ago, what do you do? I wrote um, in an article for Fast Company where I really laid out my story and I set it up where this story starts with the bully at the time, just kind of towering over me. I was in Cube Nation. That's what I call the corporate world. I was in Cubicle Nation that day and she just comes out of the glass office being the bully. And to me, I was at a place where it had gotten so normal for me that I didn't see anything wrong with it anymore. And it wasn't until she walked away and I started getting the IMs from everybody around me, people coming by and, are you okay? And I'm sure you guys can imagine what I did in that moment. I sucked it up and I said, of course, I'm fine. I'm good. And I wasn't. And I'm challenging anybody who's in that situation. We have to stop suffering in silos because I will tell you, I'll get on the phone and call my friend Kimberly and I'll tell her what happened to me. But when I'm at work, I am suffering in a silo and I'm not making the allies complicit in the treatment that I'm getting. And so from now on, I challenge people with, are you okay? No, I'm not okay. That was really embarrassing. Yeah.
0: I think that's
1: so important. And I have felt that sometimes
0: myself where I'll hear something happening and I think, how would that look different mm-hmm. if that was a woman or a person of color? I was in my office one time and I overheard a male colleague yelling at our boss, like going off swearing and everything. Cause they were really upset and everyone could hear. And I reached out and said, Hey, are you okay to my boss? And he said, Oh yeah, that's part of the job. Mm-hmm. And I almost let it go, but I felt compelled to say, I don't think it's actually part of the job, but I would like to offer to you this idea that if that was a woman yelling and swearing and coming off as unhinged and emotional, I think that would be so detrimental to their career, to their professional capital. And I don't think we always acknowledge how some people can make those mistakes or behave in that way. But for some of us, those things are so detrimental for our career. So sometimes even in the moment of seeing it happen to acknowledge if you're in the existing power structure, then one of the ways you can be an ally is to look at it and say, wait a minute, let me look at it through the lens of if someone who was not in the dominant power, mm-hmm. were behaving exactly the same way. What would that look like? And that is for me, the eureka moment to say, oh, hell no, that's not going to fly at all. And we'd be going to bed that night going, I can't believe I did that. And oh my God, they're going to think I'm some crazy emotional woman because of all that social conditioning. Right. Right.
1: And, and because of that conditioning, that's why I said, oh, I'm fine. Yeah, you know, but now if you want to be an ally, I'm going to make you complicit, meaning I'm not harboring that by myself anymore. I'm going to tell you absolutely, you know, that really made me feel really bad. I'm really embarrassed because when I say I'm fine, well, that gives the other person the opportunity to say, well, I asked her. She said she was good. No problem there. But now when I tell you the truth, that gosh, that really hurt. Man, I can't believe she spoke to me like that. Now, if you really want to be my ally, you know the truth about what's happening, prove it. Prove that you're. I, I love
0: that so much. Dr. Maya Angelou said one of my favorite quotes of all time do your best until you know better, then mm-hmm. do better. Yep. and That is so profound because we are so conditioned, as you said, to, as women to say, how do I make everyone feel better? And this inauthentic, oh, I'm fine that we've been conditioned to say, because otherwise we're complaining. It doesn't serve us. And to your point, and it is so profound, it really lets others off the hook. And I think you're exactly right. I think we got to hold people's feet to the fire, at least to say, hey, you might not do anything about it, but if you choose to not be a part of the solution, it's not going to be because you don't think there's a problem, because I'm telling you it's a problem. I'm
1: telling you there's a problem. And then on the flip side of that, for the person that's asking, stop asking people if they're okay. If you know you're going to ask somebody if they're okay, then you already know you witnessed something that had it been done to you, you wouldn't have liked it. So now just approach them saying... I saw that I didn't agree with it or whatever your words are to let them know, Hey, I recognize what happened to you. How can I support you? What do you need right now? I could not agree more. One of the most important things
0: for any ally is acknowledgement. The Mm -hmm. first step is acknowledging what you are
1: seeing and that there is a problem. And I will say to anybody who's on the other side, playing the role of the ally in this scenario, the only reason I ever got out of the situation I was in and it was a positive exit for me was because someone who was in the dominant power structure spoke up on my behalf. Had that not happened, I I believe in my heart of hearts. That situation would have had further emotional implications for me, further mental implications for me, and 100% financial implications because That's the piece that people often don't want to talk about, too, is there are huge financial impacts when people are going through these scenarios because most people do not make it out into a newer, happier job. They either leave without another opportunity, and we know when that's unexpected what the long-term effects of that can be on somebody's financial situation. And they just have to part ways because they just cannot continue to put themselves through the mental and emotional stress of that situation.
0: I think that's profoundly important. Often when people are in these situations, they're, they have in front of them choices that are not good at all. So either I have to stick it out and continue to be in this toxic environment that is emotionally and mentally damaging and even perhaps physically damaging in terms of my health. And then on top of that, try to find another job before I leave this job because of the financial problems. So now I've got all of this emotional trauma and stress, plus the stress of finding another job, plus the stress of doing my job in that kind of environment, Mm -hmm. or I move on, but now I've got this huge financial burden to carry. So that is. Obviously,
1: a terrible choice to have to make. Absolutely. It happens. And, you know, we talked about being hopeless, not having confidence in your ability. Imagine taking that into a job interview. Yeah. Yeah.
0: When that gaslighting happens and you're made to feel like you're less than over and over after you went in believing you had all the things in place, now you're going into that next job interview and it's, with you still, right? If you don't still, have, it
1: stays there. Yeah. It stays there. I tell people all the time when I left my bullying situation, I had a great new team. They were amazing. Some of them are still my friends to this day. I cried the first day. I had to get up, excuse myself, because I was so terrified that they're going to find out that everything that that previous manager said about me was true. It yeah, it's part of girl
0: <laughs> yeah it's part of why imposter syndrome is more common with women but i think it's also really an important reason why you call what you do a detox because the whole idea behind a detox is getting rid of all the negative energy Absolutely. or getting rid of all of the negative toxins Absolutely. so that we are open to that new opportunity So I just want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit more about your detox program and some of the steps and things that you take women through if you haven't covered them already.
1: Yeah. So one of the other things that I do want to mention is that we also talk about this notion of working more and really working to a place of working smarter and working from a place of rest and pleasure and happiness, because oftentimes we think that Whatever the scenario is, but a lot of us have this relationship with work. Most of us women of color, particularly Black women, go into work with this idea we were taught. You've got to work twice as hard as everybody else. Right. And so how do we get to a place where you're working twice as hard? Because most of us are, but you're still not getting the opportunity. So we talk about things like delegate strategically. You don't have to raise your hand for everything. You definitely don't have to be on the DEI committee that's understaffed, that the the leadership is not really paying much attention to, that's disguised to you as an opportunity. And I'm using air quotes there. but (laughs) (laughs) But really, how do you examine the opportunities that are being assigned to you? as real opportunities that are aligned with your values and aligned with your own career plan.
0: so Yeah, that moved the needle. I had an episode early on in the podcast titled The Art and Agony of No, and I'll put a link to that in this episode. But it is this idea of how we are conditioned as women to say yes, and how do I assimilate and be a team player and all of this housekeeping that comes with that, oh, that yes. doesn't serve us. And it also doesn't move the
1: needle in terms it does of does not move the needle. And you look up and you wonder why you're overworked and overlooked. And now your plate is too full with a bunch of little things that don't move the needle. And so when those big opportunities come up, now you're in a position where somebody can say, but you really don't have time to support that. So we talk about how to really reestablish this whole notion of we're going to work smart from now on. We're going to take rest. We're going to go on vacation. We're going to have fun because oftentimes when we see that kind of played out in the media, we're getting a little bit more of that now, but going beyond like all the girls getting on the donkey and going to Dubai and, you know, the wind is blowing out here, but really like true rest, it's available to you all the time. You don't have to earn rest.
0: Yeah, that's profoundly important. It's especially true when and the data is really clear on this, especially women of color do tend to be over-indexed in volunteer work, Mm -hmm. are expected to do more of the mentoring, are expected to serve on more of the uncompensated committees. So even just having somebody to talk that through with and to interrupt that and say, just because you want to change things doesn't mean you have to be doing an unfair share of things all the time. Because sometimes I think our passions are used against us that we're put in a position where our passions are used to exploit us
1: for more free work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's just another big component of the program that I am really excited about because I see it so often. We are doing all the things. And in addition to not being treated well at work, we're doing all the other things everywhere else. And so this notion of being the superwoman, it plays out at work too. We're raising our hand to your point for all of the things that aren't really moving the needle. They aren't aligned with who we are. And then you look up and you wonder, gosh, do I even still want this career anymore?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have to tell you, this detox program you're talking about sounds incredible. So I'm hoping you can share with us how our listeners can learn more about you, but also more about this program, because it's not enough to go at it alone. There's just too much stacked against us. So tell us a little bit more about how people can find out more about you and the types of programs you offer.
1: Of course. And I would even argue you shouldn't be trying to go it alone. That's again, part of the issue is that we are trying to do all of this work and healing by ourselves. And really, that is also a byproduct of the system because it wants you to stay small. It wants you to stay and It wants you to believe that you are the problem. And I think really doing this work, and that's why I chose to do it in this way, in this group capacity, is so important so that you understand you are not alone. There are other women who are going through exactly what you're going through and having the power of community, having another person that can hold that mirror up to you to say, Kimberly, what are you talking about? You're amazing. You're awesome. Go forward and do it. And we as a community have your back is incredible. If anybody is interested, if you've heard this and you want to be a part of this incredible group coaching program, the next cohort will open in spring of 2023. We are accepting applications. You can go to ZanikaChapman.com slash coaching or slash group coaching. And all of the information for Surviving Corporate is there. Just click the link to apply. There's just a very short application process. And that is just so that I can make sure, you know, that we've got the right ladies in the program. I like to actually sit and spend time with you just so I get to know you. You get to know me and we really can make sure that this is a good fit for you. One of the things that I also like to be mindful of is how close you are still to your bullying scenario, because sometimes that can just impact your progress. So I do look for things like that, but it's an incredible program. I would encourage anybody to go and apply and we would love to have you next year.
0: Awesome. I will make sure for sure that I include all of that information in the show notes, but I also want to reiterate what you said about not being in this alone, because I do think part of the power of an oppressive system is having people self-impose the problem that somehow it's their problem. But of course, the biggest hindrance to not believing that is talking to others when you talk to others and you go, oh, wow, it isn't me. And so there's a lot of power in that. And each episode, I end with what I call a manifest statement, pragmatic takeaway for how these conversations can manifest in our lives. And today I want to end with a quote that serves as a call to action, because as you said, we are not in this alone and we need our allies as well. It is not the sole responsibility of those being bullied to help create the necessary change. It's a problem for all of us to address for all leaders to address, for all organizations to address. And so I'll share a quote by South African theologian and human rights activist Desmond Tutu, who said, quote, if you are neutral in situations of justice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality, end quote. We really need to attack this problem because it is so devastating, especially to women, especially to women of color, and we are all in it. So I'm so appreciative of the work you're doing. I encourage listeners to check out your program and to learn more about you because you are really an amazing woman. And I thank just you. really have enjoyed your insights you. here and having you on the show. So I just want to thank you again for being here today.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it again, my honor to be here today.
0: For more resources, you can visit my website, www.advancingwomenpodcast.com and connect on Instagram at advancingwomenpodcast. I love getting your feedback. So please email me at simone at advancingwomenpodcast.com. I just want to thank Joe Jacobs, the audio warrior, who wrote the music for this podcast. And a huge thanks to Heather Harris, the creative warrior, who designed the Advancing Woman podcast logo. And thanks to all of you for joining me here today.